Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. This has been a great day so far, and I really trust that it's going to continue to be great here during second service. In first service, we had the opportunity and the privilege of baptizing 24 people, and I know in second service, we have a bunch that are getting baptized as well, plus a child dedication and just a lot that is happening. And it's a good way to kick off what we refer to in the church world as Holy Week. What Holy Week represents is today, we call it Palm Sunday. That's not ever called Palm Sunday in the Bible, but we refer to it as Palm Sunday, the day that they were waving these palm branches in biblical times. Today was what was called Lamb Selection Day. It was the day that they picked out the lamb that was going to be sacrificed for the household on the coming Passover. So it was a very busy time in Jewish uh, culture, in the Jewish calendar, and in Jerusalem in particular. And it starts on this day, and then on Wednesday we celebrate our Passover Seder meal, and unfortunately all the tickets are gone for that, so hopefully next year you can get on the list for that. We have that Seder meal celebrating the Passover, which the Jewish people still do to this day. And then we have on Friday the, the wonderful tradition of what we call our darkening service. I would highly recommend that you come and be a part of that. It's a special sacred moment where you can... Um, hear about the crucifixion, hear about the death that Jesus died. And then on that Sunday morning, it is the day of revival. It is the day of resurrection and life and light. And we come back together next Sunday for our resurrection Sunday, celebrating together what Jesus accomplished, not only in the death, but in his resurrection. So it's a great week. It's a wonderful week to worship. And it's a wonderful day to be able to celebrate this with the baptisms. We're going to be doing the baptisms at the end of the sermon today. If you're one of those that is getting baptized, you can absolutely go ahead and go get ready and then come back and listen to the sermon for that. When I call on people to get baptized, we're going to have all of you line up over here. I'm going to talk to you just a little bit and then we'll go ahead and do the baptism time uh, together. What I want to look at today is what we read, uh, what we've been singing about, what we saw on the video, and that is the story of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, what we call his triumphant entry or triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I want to look at this, and then I want to make some observations about this for our message together today as we're kicking off this week. And I think it's going to be challenging. It's going to be causing you to do a little introspection and maybe take a look at your Self and where you are in your personal relationship with the Lord here today. Let's read together. We're going to read out of Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to read out of the New King James Version today. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have an app on your phone or you have your Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along. Here's what it says. 
Now, when they, that the they is the representation of Jesus and his disciples, when they drew near Jerusalem and they came to a place called Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. So when he says it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, what he's talking about is prophecy. Prophecy is two things. It is the foretelling of God's word and the forth telling. This was a foretelling event. Prophecy was given in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah and how he would come. This thing that's going to happen, Jesus says, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Here's the prophecy. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is the prophecy that is being given. Now this prophecy comes out of three different places in the Old Testament. It comes out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11. It comes out of the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. And then it also comes out of the book of Genesis, chapter 49, verses 10 and 11. So three different references. Now, Isaiah was written about 700 years before the coming of Jesus. Zechariah was about 500 years, and then Genesis was about 2,000 years written prior to the coming of Jesus. These prophecies, for me personally, they give me incredible assurance. The assurance is that that Jesus has to be the one who was the spoken of Messiah, he fulfilled not only these prophecies, but so many prophecies in the Old Testament. The mathematical odds of one person fulfilling everything that Jesus did is impossible. It's, well, I can't say impossible. It is improbable. It can't, mathematically, in our human brains, we can't even wrap our brains around how incredible these events are. In fact, it has been said that all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled it's the same odds as if you took the entire state of Texas, you stacked it a foot deep with quarters. In the middle of the state somewhere, you took like three silver dollars, you put them and dropped them somewhere in the middle of the state. Then you let a blind person walk through the state and him stumbling across and picking up those three coins. That's the same odds of Jesus fulfilling all of the prophecies. It's like, how is this? possible only because it's God. And that gives me incredible assurance that this is true. And I hold on to the, that assurance because it's what helps and sustains me as I am looking forward in the days ahead. So, prophecies fulfilled. Isaiah, Zechariah, the book of Genesis. So the disciples went and they did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set Jesus on them, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. 
Now others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So what was going on here? Well, we have in tradition that they would have cut palm branches because that would have been the primary tree in that area. They would have cut down palm branches, laid them in the road, laid their outer garments in the road. Now that was symbolic of what would happen if a king came into a community. The king would come in. This was a proclamation of conquering, of victory, of the, uh, of the person of the king. And they would lay those things out and there would be incredible celebration. People would line the roads. The past, uh, the past week, and I, I was gone last Sunday, but the past week, I, have, um, I had the privilege of going down to Florida, spending some time with my dad. I don't get to see him very often, and I went down and spent some time with my dad. And he has a couple of palm trees in his yard in Florida. And I don't know about you, but palm trees are the most relaxing tree that there is known to man. It like makes you feel like tropical when you see it. The world could be a mess, but you look at a palm tree and it's like, oh, this is li- life is good. You know, that's what you feel. Here, there's sagebrush and that's all there is. We have nothing else. So if he had come to Gillette, we'd be waving sagebrush branches, I guess, instead of palm. Jesus was there. They were anticipating a king and they laid out the branches and they laid out the clothing. Then the multitudes who went before, this is the crowd, and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now notice this word, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's another prophecy that comes out of Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26. So another prophecy that is being fulfilled here in the coming of Jesus. Now, they would not have said this. This is not Hebrew. In Hebrew, they would have said Hoshiana to Ben David. Ben David means son of David. Hoshiana is the word for Hosanna. They would have said Baruch, Habab Hashem Adonai, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they would have been shouting this. They would have been screaming this. They were excited that he was coming in. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Yeshua. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth or Nazareth of Galilee. This is an incredible story. And there's something more about this story that I want to dive into today that I want to challenge you with. Because this story is going to flip on its head in just a matter of a few days. Whereas the people were shouting and screaming... They're not going to be doing the same just a handful of days later. And I want to relate it to our lives today as we look at it together. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to praise you. All of this time is about you. It's not about us. It's about you. We are not the center of the world. You are. We are not that important. You are. You are the God who deserves to be praised. Lord, as we look at this story convict us and point to our own lives in ways that maybe we are going to be doing the same things as the people of that time did. I pray that you would show us your truth, make it impactful. And as we look forward to the baptisms and the dedication a little bit later, make it a special, holy, sacred, sacred moment in this place. 
For all that you do, we will thank you. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he entered in, and they all perceived his entering in that he was coming as a conquering king. They had expectations on what God would do and how God would be and how their lives would be as a result of him marching into the city. What the people expected was that he was coming in as a king, as a conquering king, that he was going to remove the oppression that the Romans were putting on them. They were being taxed heavily. They were being oppressed. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. Jesus coming in, they thought in their mind that now life is going to be good. The king is here. He is coming to set us free. My life is going to be filled with comfort, contentment, no more hardship, no more oppression, because the king is here. So we can shout Hoshiana to Ben David because the king has come. The problem is that Jesus did not come in the way that they wanted him to. He didn't fulfill the expectations that they had in their mind of what God and a king would be. He didn't come the way that they wanted. Instead of bringing comfort, instead of bringing, bringing ease and contentment, their lives would continue to be difficult. So, because he didn't meet their expectations, about three days later, instead of shouting Hoshiana to Ben David, they were shouting, crucify him. The crowd completely flipped. Praise turned into condemnation. Hope turned into ridicule and anger and frustration. This crowd, because God did not meet their expectations and do exactly what they wanted to do, would then shout, take him to the cross, crucify him, kill him, because he is not doing what we expect. I was thinking about that this past week and, and really contemplating, reading, and studying on this, and it just hit me that how much are we like them? How much are we like that crowd who has expectations upon God, he needs to do exactly what I want him to do, and if he doesn't, I don't want anything to do with him. Well, that's what the crowd did, and that's what people fundamentally do in society and in life. There's a, a word that describes what was going on, and the word is Godship. What is Godship? Well, Godship is a term that is used to identify when I'm acting like God rather than letting him be God. Godship is a term that is used for an individual that is functioning as his or her own God. It's used as a term to describe the self-life or walking after selfish desires or the flesh. It's describing an individual who really doesn't consider what God has to say about life, and I don't want to follow what God has to say. It often describes an individual or a person who is letting circumstances or feelings rule their lives rather than letting God rule their lives. I don't know if you fall into any of those categories. You ever try to ruin, uh, run your own life? Uh, do you ever not consider what God has to say? Do you ever make decisions that are not according to the word of God, but it's just because I want to and it feels good and I like it? Do you ever allow your own feelings to rule your life like, like anxiety and depression and, and worry and doubt and anger? 
Rather than considering what God has to say, if you do, then you're allowing the Godship problem into your life. And the Godship problem says, it's all about me, it's not about him. And unless God meets my expectations, then I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, where did this problem all occur? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of an illustration or some illustrations on the screen today to try to describe this Godship issue in a way that we can all understand. And here's how it starts. It starts in this way. That in the beginning there was God, and God existed in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was a trinity, he is a trinity, existing in three different personhoods, three distinct parts, yet all combined into one, one God in three distinct personalities. That is the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It's a trinity. I know it's hard to understand at times the trinity, but God exists in that way. Now, in the very beginning, it says that God created. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse of the Bible, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, after that, let there be light. And then he said, after that, he's going to create everything else. He creates the sky and the vegetation and the trees and the plants and the stars and the sun and the moon and the birds and the sea creatures and animals. And he finally creates humanity. Do you know that that very first verse of the Bible is the thing that Satan has gone after? Because if you don't believe the first verse, the rest of the Bible is not true. If you don't believe the first, why would the rest of it exist? I mean, the first verse, if God starts out lying to you, then he can't be trusted for the rest of it. So you either believe it or you don't, and that really distinguishes who you are as a person. Is God true? Can he be trusted? If he didn't create, then he's not true and he can't be trusted. I I fully believe and firmly believe that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. He created it all. Did he tell us what he did? No. He just said, on these days, here's what I did. Summary statement. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not going to get into all the details. But God created. We take it by faith. In the beginning, God created. What did he create? Well, he created all things. Everything, everything that I listed, including you, including humanity, man and woman, he created them. Now, we have in society tried to disprove God and say none of that is true. He did not create, and there's not just male and female anymore. There's all kinds of things trying to disprove who God is. But God created in the very beginning all of this, and he said so, and you either believe it or you don't. And it really affects who you are. In the beginning, he created all things. It says in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So what does that say? That says he created it all. As the creator of all, God has exclusive rights over his creation. There's three that are primary that I just want to show you. As the creator of all things, God has three exclusive. He's got more, but there are three that are really up there. Hear what those rights are. Number one, God, because he created all things and he is the creator of all things, number one, over his creation, God has the power to control. God is in control, not us. He is in control. 
and he is in control of his creation. And his creation is going in the direction that he intended it to go. In the ways that he intended it to go, things are happening. This is the sovereignty of God. This is the power of God and the authority of God. God has the power to control. Here's what it says in the Bible. In Psalm 115 and then in 135, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. By the way, he doesn't ask your opinion, just so you know. Does whatever he pleases, whatever the Lord pleases he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. So I either have to say, okay, well, I believe that, or I don't. Okay, he has the power to control. A second exclusive right that God has, not just the power to control, God has the right to judge. God has the right to judge. What does that mean? That means that God has the right to set the standards and to determine what is right and what is wrong. You may agree, you may not agree, but that doesn't matter. God has the right to judge. And he can set the standards, and he can demand obedience to those standards, and he can set up the, the ramifications of disagreeing with his standards, but it's his standards, not ours. The Bible again says this, James 4.12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? In other words, God is the only one that could judge. God is the one that sets the standards. In Romans 9... What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? What does that mean? What if God decided to put up with people and allow them to get away with the corruption and not intervene? What is that up to you? It's God's decision. That happens all the time around us, by the way. We have all kinds of corruption, and God is putting up with it. He's long-suffering. They are prepared for destruction, but God is putting up with it. So God has the right to judge. Number three, it says this, God deserves all praise. So these are the rights that are exclusively God's. He's got the power to control. He's got the right to judge. He's the one that deserves all praise of mankind. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Psalm 29, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. So, God, you're the one that I need to praise. You're in control. You can judge. And I need to praise you. And that's what happened. In the garden, when God had created all things, he created male and female. And how did they live? They lived in direct connection to God. It was, God, I, I recognize you're in control. I'm not going to try to control you're in control. God, I recognize that you're the judge. You set the standards. I'm going to follow your standards, God. I'm going to praise you and worship you because you deserve my praise. Here's the problem. That out here roaming was Satan. Satan was another of the created beings. Satan, by the way, is not equal to God. He is not God. He is a created being, but he hates God with all of his being. 
he cannot get to God, so he does the very best thing that he could think of, and that is to go after the people that God loves so dearly. In fact, it says this of Satan in Isaiah 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you, Satan, said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you're going to be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Do you notice what he says there time and time again? Did you get this? I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. Satan knowing that he cannot get to God, wanting the power. I don't want God to be in control. I want to be in control. I don't want God to judge. I want to judge. I don't want God to receive the praise. I want the praise. Knowing he can't get that from God, knowing that he can't get to God, he does the very next best thing, and that is he comes after the people that God loves so dearly. The people that he tempted, the people that fell, and that fallen nature passes to all humanity. And what did he do in that fallen nature? He caused us to be moved away from the presence of the Almighty God. This relationship became severed. And now, instead of understanding, God, you're in control, you're the judge, you deserve the praise. Now, humanity says, I want to be in control. In fact, this would describe many of the problems that you have in your marriage today. Your marriage, it's a battle for control and power. I want to be in control. No, I want to be in control. I'm going to tell you what to do. No, I'm going to tell you. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm going to tell you. And you argue and you fight. And it's corrupt because I want to be in control. In fact, it starts at the, various, uh, the very earliest ages with our children. Remember the time when your kids were two and you were in a hurry and you grabbed their coat. Got to put the coat on as we get out the door. And your little child said, I can do it. I, I, I do it. I do it. And it's like, okay, you just roll your eyes and you let them do it. And it takes you five minutes longer. And you're like, come on. And then they, you want to tie their shoes and they say, I, I do it. I can do it. And then they, they take forever to tie their shoes and you're like dying to get out the door. And then you determine I'm buying Velcro shoes from now on. No more ties. I'm not doing that again. It's because I want to be in control. And we fight for control. And we try to control each other at work and at school and at home. And parents try to control kids and kids try to control the parents. And, and they fight back and forth. And it's a struggle for control. Just try this little experiment at home. Go home, sit next to your wife or husband on the couch with the remote control and see who's going to get this. Who's going to be in control of what we watch on TV? I want control. No, I want control. I'm the man. I want control of the TV. You know what else we do? We say, you know what? I, I, I don't want God to judge. I want to be the judge. 
And so we set standards for each other and expectations for each other. And we determine what's right and wrong. God said this. I don't like this. I like this instead. I'm going to reject God and follow this because I want to be the judge. And I will judge you and I will judge me and I will punish you if you don't meet my standards and I will punish myself if I don't meet my standards. And they may not be God's standards at all, but they're my standards and I am going to judge you based upon that. And then we say, I don't want to praise God. I want to be praised. I need to be noticed. And it becomes an unhealthy obsession for people pleasing and attention and applause. We have all kinds of kids today growing up not wanting to be, you know, successful in business or not wanting to, to accomplish certain things. They want to be influencers on TikTok or on YouTube. And how many likes did I get on that video? And how, how many people watched the video? And what outrageous thing can I do? Why do I do that? Because I need, I need the attention. I need to be praised. See, what happens to humanity is when we live apart from God and we're separated from him, we take on the three rights that are only God's to have. And that is called Godship. I will be my God. I will function as my God. I will not listen to what God has to say. I'll be whomever I want to be. If God says change, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do because it's about my best life now and I want to make myself happy. What do I do about this? The only way for life to be made right is that I have to come back into alignment with who God is. In the beginning, humanity was in alignment with God until sin entered into the world. When sin is in the world, now I'm trying to be God. And to get right and to be healthy and to experience what God intended, I have to put myself back into alignment with him. So there's some things that need to happen to make this so. Number one, first step is I have to admit. What do I need to admit? Well, God is God and I am not. The simplest and the most difficult thing to admit in life. God is God, and I'm not him. God is the one that's in control. I can't have control anymore. In fact, there are some of you that need to go home today and apologize to your family and say, I'm, I'm sorry for trying to control all of you. I'm sorry for putting standards upon you that are unrealistic. I'm sorry that I've made life all about me. God is God and I'm not. And that's the first step in getting well. Second step is this. I need to confess. And then I need to repent. The word confess means to agree with. What do I confess? I confess exactly what I have on the screen. I confess to God, I'm sorry, God. I agree with you, God. I have been living my life apart from you. I've been doing my own thing. I haven't been listening to you. I've been running on my own desires, my own feelings, my own circumstances. I've been trying to be the God of my life. And God, I am sorry. I confess to you that I'm wrong. Hard to admit at times that we're wrong. 
but God, I need to admit to you, I'm wrong. And I confess this. And then I repent. Repent means to turn 180 degrees from the direction I was going. I was going in a direction that was all about me. I'm going to turn completely and come to you and follow what you want. I may not understand. I may not agree at times. I may not, it, it may not make sense to me, but God, I'm putting myself under your Authority, which is step number three, and that is I submit and I surrender to him, and then I rest in him, and I quit striving and quit trying to control and live life according to my own desires. James 4, 7, it says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In Psalm 37, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And so those three rights that are exclusively God's, that we usurp, that just means we take it for ourselves, we usurp the authority of God, and we become the gods of our lives. And when we, you become the God of your life, to quote Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? I would guess it's not. I would guess your life's pretty miserable. Because the more I take upon myself what is rightfully God's, the worse my marriage will be, the more sad and depressed I will be, the more struggles I will face because I am not under his authority. So today, do any of you struggle with the Godship issue where you have been living life as your own God? I want to be in control. I want to judge I'm going to set the standards. I don't care what God says. I want to do it. And I want people's praise and attention. And maybe today is the day where you need to admit, you need to confess, repent, and fully put yourself, surrender to the authority of the Lord. Father, I pray that our hearts would be yours. I pray, Father, that we would get ourselves back in alignment with you, that we would recognize that you're the God who's in control that you the, have the right to judge and you are the one that deserves all of our praise. Help us to get ourselves out of the way and to put you in the center of our lives. I pray that you'd bless these here that went through this baptism time, Lord, that it would be just a special sacred moment in their lives and that they would never be the same. Thank you, Father, for this day. Bless us as we leave, as we look forward to this holy week, Lord. Speak to us in a very powerful, special way. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys and thanks for listening to this message.